I'm Nick Abrahams, and welcome to Web3, From Mystery to Main Street, the podcast where we talk about how technologies like crypto, DeFi, NFTs, and the metaverse are being successfully embraced by mainstream businesses. And joining me today on the show is Mike Pell, Envisioneer and Director at the Microsoft Garage. And Mike, I've got to say, is one of the world's great creative forces. He's a prolific author. He's had The Age of Smart Information, Envisioning Holograms, and he's got a new book coming up called Visualizing Business. And I've got to say, Mike is a guy who sees the world and information very differently to the rest of us. So, Mike, welcome to the show. Thank you, Nick. So great to be back talking with you. Very kind of you. Look, why don't we just go back into because you've had a, a fascinating career. Um, can you give us just a, a bit of a sense as, you know, what's the ride been so far? How did you end up as an envisioner? Well, I've been very lucky throughout my entire career. I've been on the leading edge of technology and business and design. And so I've just been very fortunate to work with some incredibly talented people. And, uh, you know, I started off as a designer, you know, a, an artist and just happened to love science fiction and technology. Got a chance to do both when I learned programming, you know, and was doing uh, art at the same time. And throughout my whole career, I've just been able to sort of be that person who helps people to not only have these ideas, you know, of things that they'd like to do, but make them real. And that's through, you know, my ability to do both the design and the engineering behind prototyping or trying things out. So that that sort of led me to being an envisioner, right? Someone who can both envision, you know, imagine what's possible, but make it real through engineering. And it, it feels like now is your time because sort of now more than ever, we've seen the the worlds of art and design and uh, and and technology really come together in in Web three. So it's it's a very exciting time. Um, maybe it's you know, like that the creator economy is real. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so it's no longer our artists sort of. Uh, uh, you know, folks who, well, I guess you know, struggle for your art in a, you know, in a garret somewhere in uh, on the left bank. It's, um, you know, it's it's front and center. So it's been fascinating. Maybe just to get a sense of, because you know, so you're a director at the Microsoft Garage, and you know, it's a, that is that in itself is a fascinating proposition. Can you talk us through what exactly does does happen at the Microsoft Garage? Mm-hmm. The Garage program worldwide is the ability for Microsoft employees to take their ideas and their passion and do something with it. You know, eight years ago when uh, Satya Nadella took over as our new CEO, he had heard about hacking and hackathons and wanted to try an experiment, which was to turn everybody at Microsoft loose worldwide for a few days and see what would happen. And that um, first event that we put together nine years ago now called the Microsoft Global Hackathon led to a transformation of our corporate culture to being more experimental, more curious, uh, more, uh, I would say, uh, able to sort of just try things, you know, instead of talking them to death. So the Garage program has really uh, been helping since that time to change the culture of Microsoft through um, helping people to just hack on things, to take an idea, to move it very quickly from, you know, just, just being this, you know, sort of amorphous thing to being something real that we can test. We help them form a hypothesis, you know, sort of do an experiment. And so it, the garage has been a lot of fun for me personally, because I've seen so many thousands of projects come out of our hackathons over the year, or just, you know, individual people or engineering teams coming up with ideas. 
and I was helping them try them out as experiments. So at, at its heart, the garage is about you know curiosity and experimentation, but it actually ends up being a business value because every once in a while we do come across this amazing new business idea, you know, new product or service, or just something that helps our community, like the the community at large or our customers. I've, I've got to say the, the the last eight years or so with Satya have been a remarkable time, I think, for Microsoft. In fact, for any corporate, because Microsoft was already a very mature business. There was there was the shift to the cloud, which was you know effectively an existential crisis for Microsoft. But remember, Nick, eight eight years ago, nobody cared about Microsoft. Yeah, they were a faceless tech giant who, like, basically, you know, was just sort of you know whatever, right? Nobody really paid attention. And the difference between then and now, and I think if you ask any Microsoft employee to the person today, yeah. they would tell you it's a very different company. They love working for the company, and they're incredibly excited personally about the future. And the reason for that is Satya realizing, you know, from the very beginning of taking over, that he had to empower everyone right. to go take their ideas like you know, and sort of, I would say, um, make sure that we all understood that our ideas did matter. And that yeah. we were empowered to do the right thing. And, and that made a huge difference. And it has taken us from, you know, being basically, you know, like not on anybody's radar to being, you know, one of, again, the most um, identified as being innovative companies in the world. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, a, it's, it's just been fantastic the way, you know, the Office 365, uh, you know, that, that became you know, such an extraordinary movement. And then, you know, the integration of Skype, which had been, you know, a bit of a, a lost child in other organisations. And then Microsoft bought it you know, over a decade ago. And then, you know, Teams is obviously a critical part and has has really been important to the world during the pandemic. So it's, it's fascinating to see, you know, that, you know, I guess, that transformation. Maybe can you, um, you know, so, so what we talk about on the podcast is trying to, give our listeners a sense of what's real about Web3 technologies. And I know, obviously, in the augmented reality space, that's, you know, a, a favourite area of yours. But also we talk about, you know, crypto and stable coins and NFTs and so forth. Can you give us a sense of, uh, you know, what, what projects you've been working on that are sort of more in the Web3 space where you think there might be sort of mainstream business interest? Absolutely. So I talk about this almost every day in the Microsoft Garage. We have right, some right. of our biggest customers coming through all the time, and they all want to know the same thing. How, like, what's our role in Web three, in the metaverse, you know, in cryptocurrencies? Like, what can we do today with Microsoft to sort of figure out, you know, our place? So when you asked what's real, what's real is the technology, right? There's no question that some of the technologies that we're looking at right now will survive. You know, this this um, exponential growth, right? Like we will, NFTs, I, I believe there's a lot of hype. There's a lot of nonsense going on with ridiculous marketing schemes tied to NFTs. Like, do you really have to have an NFT to, to get into a restaurant? Like, <laughs> like, yeah, that like, like spare me that one, right? <laughs> but, but the NFT um, to me is a digital packaging uh -huh. that has capabilities we've never had before, like transparency, um, you know, persistence, like being like all those amazing things. So to me, like that file format, let's call it yeah. or that that packaging is durable. And, and it, you know, it has a lot of really great benefits. So artists for the first time in history 
may have the opportunity to be paid. You know, if you were a painter way back when you sold a painting for whatever, you know, you would sell it for, you would never make a dime after that. Yeah. And so now yeah. at least we have the promise, whether you're a music artist, a videographer, you know, a, a fine artist, doesn't matter. You have the capability at least to benefit from your work being sold and, and used in the future. Like that's great. So the technologies are very real, you know, whether they're um, cryptocurrencies or, you know, like what we're, we're doing with blockchain, like those things we're going to build on as core infrastructure technologies. I would say what is not real is that the notion that somehow web three is going to replace web two or what we right. call yep. the, you know, that the web or the, yeah. you know, like mobile internet, it's like, that is not going to go away. Uh, even when people talk about the metaverse, the metaverse has existed for 25 years. Oh, it's just that now, right, it, it's actually faster. We have great bandwidth. You know, it's amazing capability. People are ready for it. But, you know, back in the mid-90s, we were doing the same things we're doing now with 3D, right? Communities, commerce, uh, you know, being able to to go places that that we never imagined. It's different in that, and, and again, like people sort of, confuse the metaverse with web three with you know other things to me um web three is really the notion at its heart that we need to decentralize and we need to make things a bit more autonomous yeah. moving forward right like at its at its very core which is very different for me than the metaverse right you know the metaverse is an extension of the web it is not a new thing you know it's literally you know, like there's one metaverse, like there's one web, there's a gazillion <laughs> experiences within the metaverse, like whatever. It's AOL metaverse. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it's it, like there there is only one, right? <laughs> but um, the key part, like you're asking about what's real, the metaverse is real. It's here today and it's inhabited by 14-year-olds. Right. right. Is that in the gaming area you're thinking? Yeah, they are, right. they are doing everything that, that everybody promises the metaverse to be. It's already yeah. happening. Right. Yeah. Look at Roblox. Look at Minecraft. Look at Fortnite. Same thing. Building community, talking to your friends, yeah. exchanging goods, commerce, you know, music, entertainment. Like it's all happening in those places. Now, do we recognize those as the metaverse? No. Like mm. most people would never recognize that as the metaverse, but that's what it is. Like that's the dream. That that's sort of the goal. And it's already here. So as far as like what's real, uh, metaverse is here. Web three technologies are here. What's not here is this um, utopian panacea that people keep talking about with DAOs and, and like we're all gonna, you know, like nobody's gonna have a boss anymore and we're all gonna like band together and like make decisions. And vote on everything. Yeah, it's like that's a bunch of nonsense. If you have, <laughs> yeah, right? it's like it's a great vision, yeah. but it is so difficult to execute well. I'm not saying it doesn't happen. I'm not saying it's not a great idea, but that is not. Um, that's not a real mainstream part of at least business today. It's yeah. it's working yeah. in the entertainment industry to a degree. It's working in the art industry to a degree, uh, but that's not quite here yet. Yeah, it it is interesting. I think DAOs are um, a very polarizing. I find because the people who believe in them, it it is a techno utopian ideal you know where we all you know we all work together and as you say you know don't have a boss and we all vote on things but i think the reality is for anyone who's ever been involved in a partnership 
you know, you, you, you can't, everyone can't make a decision. Like there's a reason why we've devolved into forms of management and leadership and, and structures mm-hmm. within large organisations. If you want to achieve a complex outcome, there'll need to be degrees of that. But I, you know, the un, as you say, I think the underlying technology, uh, you know, blockchain is, is really, you know, remarkable in terms of how it's changing things. I think maybe just to drop into the NFT thing for a moment. I, well, okay, I well, like, let's like, like, let's just, let's just talk about this thing. So yeah. to me, yeah, blockchain is, is a database for God's sakes, right? It's a database right. that has a capability for you to, to have it be completely transparent and decentralized and like, you know, okay, great. Like that's great. It's yeah. a technology, it's an infrastructure. Is it like the savior of the world? No, right. But it does open up a lot of possibilities for new business models, for new um, transparency in both business and art and, and commerce and community. So yeah. like, that's a great thing. But I, I don't know. Like I, I see them, I see technologies as technologies, yeah. right? It's what yeah. people choose to do with them. That's really the key. Yeah. And I feel like with blockchain, so it's been around for over a decade now with Bitcoin and so forth, and it, it has been bouncing around as a solution in search of a problem largely. And I feel like with NFTs, that's the that's been the first or one of the one of the great sort of entry points for blockchain into the enterprise. Um, because you know, now we're actually seeing enterprises going, you know, how can we use NFT technology like the digital asset concept and you know whether it's tokenizing things or uh, you know, using NFTs more in a marketing sense as an extension of the loyalty program. Um, I feel like it, that's sort of brought it into sharp focus in the enterprise. I mean, do you, do you see an opportunity for NFTs sort of within the enterprise or is it still sort of at that marketing level where, you know, it's, I, I guess, a little bit, as you say, the, um, you know, getting into a restaurant with an NFT? Yeah, I right now, you know, as you and I talk today in, in August of 2022, it is clearly in the marketing realm, right? right? It, it's not a part of mainstream business. There, I, I have seen very few business application of the NFT technology or packaging or wrapper, like whatever you want to call it. Uh, it's not that it's not valuable. It, it's yeah. super interesting. Yeah. It's very, you know, very cool technology, but it's not made its way into the mainstream of business or yeah. the enterprise. Yeah. Yeah. It has sort of squarely remained in the marketing and the arts and the entertainment realm which is great like people have made some money it's opened up new avenues for artists and and creators of all sorts to to try to market themselves in a new way and be able to retain uh, their intellectual property retain their rights to things that's all great and i love the shift i love that the music industry and and you know the commercial art world has sort of turning itself inside out right before our eyes yeah that's fantastic but is it is it today part of business no Mm. yeah 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 i think that's right i think we're seeing some interesting work around the edges of i was uh, one of the fellows who i interviewed for the podcast so they're working on how we can sort of well uh wrap people's health data in an nft package and so you can then control who has access to your data okay so let's talk about this thing i love talking to the, the people who i see on a weekly basis in the garage about this until one of the major financial institutions makes right. using cryptocurrency and nfts or anything else like that as easy as using a credit card right there's nothing to talk about yeah. right because the rest yeah. of us are left out yeah this is in the hands of like these 
you know, black art shamans who like use the command line to move things around from place to place. Like <laughs> we are, we are far today. Unfortunately, we are far yeah. from uh, this being an easy to use, yeah. whatever, you know, for the rest of us, yeah. it doesn't mean it's not going to happen. And it doesn't mean it's not going to happen quickly when it does, but that's what we're waiting for. We're waiting for regulations to, you know, in taxation, like in all the, you know, laws that are going to come into place, around cryptocurrency and you know fiat versus like what's happening we have to straighten this out so yeah. that we can get to the point where it is it, like it doesn't matter whether you're using cryptocurrency or a regular credit card or, or like you know it just doesn't matter and we are very far from that yeah yeah the, the user the user journey is a little little awkward right at the moment it just uh, awkward awkward is being nice about it <laughs> Terrifying, <laughs> uncomfortable. It's um, I can remember you um when we when we spoke last time, uh, you you blew my mind about you you talked about this concept of room scale data, um, and the idea that that the way that we would see the world was or see data, which you know has been limited to spreadsheets and that sort of um format. That we would see it, it, it within a room, and so we would sort of be able to touch and feel it. And I know you've got your new book coming out, visualizing business. Could you give us a sense? Of, so what's 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 happening in in the new book? What uh, what's the what's yeah? Well, the theme well, there? yeah. Thanks for asking about that. To build on what we had talked about, so yes, um, room scale data really has to do with being able to experience um, your your own information in a way that's more impactful by using scale and adjacency and you know and being able to to really feel it in a very visceral way and, and so i've done a lot of it work in this area i've done a lot of experiments there's something quite different between looking at a, a charter graph on the screen on your phone projected onto a powerpoint you know like screen somewhere and actually being in a space with your information yeah. Yeah. in a similar way uh for you know, for more than a century, we've always looked at business as static snapshots in time. Yeah. Yet yeah. we know that business is chaotic and dynamic and always moving. And that never made sense to me. Like, why would, why do we always view, you know, our businesses, our enterprises, our organizations through this static snapshot and, and have to fill in all the rest, you know, with our imagination or, or sort of piece together these things in our own mental models. And so visualizing business is a way for me to explain a new visual language for describing the dynamics and the chaotic nature and the ever moving um, you know, sort of reality of businesses. And so it's very fun to be able to bring that to life because in a lot of ways, when we look at you know, how our businesses work, we're always forming these models in our heads, yet nobody else can see them. And so I'm, I'm sort of providing a way that I believe is gonna change global business because it's going to give us a new construct, a new entity that makes all of these things that are sort of invisible just below the surface um, completely visible to us and in a way that we can manipulate them, play what if, rewind them, do projections in the future, but make them real and make them share. And so when we, when we think about that, how, how do we, uh, uh, what's our access point to that? Is that you know, is that sort of augmented reality? Is it HoloLens? Is it, you know, VR goggles? How, how do you see us leaping forward into that? Yeah, it's all of the above. I mean, it, it's everything we do now. I mean, a lesson I learned a long time ago 
is you can't drag somebody kicking and screaming into right. you know the future, right? It's like you have to give people a familiar base to start from. And so the premise uh, of the book and all the work that I've been doing lately is we're going to start from the familiar and we're going to sort of shift into something new and let you explore and let you come back to what you're very familiar with, you know, and then go back as you need to. And so this can be done through a normal phone, your laptop, you know, an Xbox, like doesn't matter, VR headsets, Apple glasses, like it doesn't matter. Yeah. The device is, is really irrelevant. The key part is that we're making things um, more real, you know, in a way that that we've only been able to imagine as our own mental models before. And so that the key part is not the device that you view it in, although I'll, I'll tell you, using uh, the immersive technologies, you know, the metaverse technologies, whether right. AR, MR, those are more satisfying and, and they are uh, a lot of fun to do it that way, but it's not required. Right, right. Interesting. And just with... Um uh, what I guess for for organisations that are listening to this, what's the what should they be thinking about? I mean, are there particular industries that should be looking at you know augmented reality as a you know as, as sort of the next step? Or you know, is it financial services? Is it you know engineering? Is it mining? Where, where do you see the big opportunities in augmented reality? Well. With whether it's augmented reality or you know whatever you want to call it, extended reality, metaverse, like you know whatever whatever label you like to apply to it, it all comes down to three D, right? And immersion mm -hmm. and spatialness. For decades, we have been searching for the right killer app or the right use case for where three D makes sense. Yeah. And the truth is, there is not one that makes sense across the board. Right. We know that right. training and education is a very clear win. When you can see whether it's um, a physics equation or, you know, um, like assembly line, you know, construction or figuring out how to put an Ikea table together. Right. Right. Any of those things is infinitely better when it's spatial because right. we're, we're spatial creatures. Like that's how we learn you know, when we're very young. So that that's a clear use case. Like nobody can argue about that. But when you sort of get away from that basic you know, realm there is not one or two um, clear winners as to why you would use augmented reality or, or virtual reality or mixed like doesn't matter except in the cases where i talk a lot about the phrase surfacing the invisible all right so when we can make things clear you know or apparent or for the first time visible when they are inherently invisible that's a win so for example if uh you're trying to describe a business model to someone, right? And you're talking about how, you know, you're going to use your channel partners to get this product or service out into the market and things yep. are going to move. Everybody's imagining something in their head, but you're not seeing it. Yeah. And so being able to actually see that, you know, in front of you in a shared way is very valuable. Uh, when you look at examples where um, you have forces at work, you know, so in the sciences, yeah. magnetism, gravity, Right. These are things that we all know to be true and we all imagine sort of how they work, yet none of us can see them in the same way. That's a clear win, right? Being able to surface the invisible, see the things that we know to be true, but can't quite um, have a shared vision of, you know, of, of exactly how they should be represented. That's, you know, the area that we're going to break open. Mm -hmm. It's, um, and, Maybe just, um, you know, I was thinking as you were talking, you approach this um, in, a, in a, well, in a visual way, obviously, and 
So you, you were, I guess, who we would normally think of as a rarish breed in the sense that you are, you know, a, a creator, but also, you know, you're deep within a traditional business. Um, mm-hmm. do, do you think, um, is what, is what we've done in the past, we've, we've sort of identified, we've, we've said, okay, so there are the artists or the creatives and they might end up getting lucky and getting jobs in advertising or something like that. But generally speaking, oh, the creatives, it's a bit, you know, odd. And then, and then we say, okay, but now who are serious people who are on business and, and they do, they look at spreadsheets and, and make important decisions. And, and those two worlds have rarely collided. Do you see a world now where, Actually, and you know, I don't believe that those people who are the serious business types aren't creative. I, you know, I have a belief that we've all got that creative DNA. Do, do you think now there's an opportunity for people to open up and, I guess, use both sides of their brain? That's what I've done my whole career. Yeah. As, as we talked about, uh, I've been fortunate to be like I love business, I love sales and marketing. I've been an entrepreneur. I've worked in large corporations, so I always get to be both, um, you know, creative. And uh, I would say more analytic, right? I'm a designer and an engineer. So, and I tell people, like, because I, I work with a lot of people, I, I coach and mentor people who are sort of early in their careers or, you know, just coming out of school. And I always tell them the same thing. You don't have to be one thing. Right. I mean, like so many students are, are coming out of school with so many different talents. Yeah. Like they, they're just like brilliant at many different things. And so I do think we're coming into an era where instead of being afraid, you know, of someone who has too many skills and, and as a corporation wanting to put them in a box and say yeah. like, no, yeah. you're going to do this one thing really well. And like, don't, don't color outside the lines. Don't try to get out of your box. Yeah. We actually have to embrace the fact that they were built, you know, to be many different things. Mm. And and we have to figure out how do you like best utilize their skills and talent. Yeah. So, yes. We, we are entering that, that time in history where, being creative and analytic, being an engineer and an artist is such an advantage that we can't ignore that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a that'd be a struggle for many organisations, I think, because the traditional, you know, even line of sight management and so forth, people are deeply sceptical of uh, of those who colour outside the lines. Although I did see something uh, just announced a couple of days ago, uh, which which did warm my heart, where. Um, ESPN announced that they are uh, live broadcasting the Excel, the Microsoft Excel World Championships. So they've got ten financial modelers who are um, going head to head in a and for a World Championship of Excel, and it'll be live broadcast. So it's um you know it's an interesting new world we've got. That's fantastic. Okay. Yeah. See, like that, that puts esports to shame, right? Yeah. There. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I mean, for those of it that, that love a good pivot table, um, right. you know, that's uh, yeah. exactly what we want to be watching. Look, I've yeah, been very generous. Wow. I, I can't, I can't wait to figure that out. Like, I, I would watch that. Like, it's <laughs> like going to be boring or exciting if they're going like, to be like throwing their coffee cups. Like, I, I don't know. <laughs> I, maybe it's like WWF. I mean, may, I, so the people that they had who seemed to be the top 10. It didn't seem like, you know, they weren't wearing masks or wrestling suits, but I think that's next level. I think we need to start yeah. having the characters oh, come oh, in. You, oh, you know they're going to come to play. They're they're going to be, you know, they're <laughs> going to be their power ties and, and they're going to be ready. <laughs> the power ties, the pocket protector. It'll um, So maybe just to finish off, um, I guess... You know, you're you're a you're a naturally enthusiastic person and uh, uh, very much glasses half full. But 
you know, if we look into the future and a lot of people are like, oh my gosh, you know, we're all going to lose our jobs and, you know, the machines are coming and so forth. But, you know, what do you see, you know, the next five to 10 years looking like? You know, what, what excites you, I guess, about, about the future? Well, the machines are coming and we're all going to lose our jobs. <laughs> <laughs> okay. We might have to edit that out, Mike. That's not where I'm talking about. <laughs> okay. No, so uh, what happens well, once we lose our jobs? Well, okay. But, but, but seriously, Nick, uh, the machines are coming. Many people are going to be displaced, right? And especially so Microsoft has been very transparent you know, about our read on the future, artificial intelligence and a lot of the, you know, uh, related technologies will displace a lot of people. There are, there are many industries that will uh, find that, that we can do things more efficiently through technology. It doesn't mean that, that people are not needed. It just means that we have to find um, new ways to utilize them, right? And new ways to apply um, what's great about humanity, which is our humanity. And so I think that many of the things, um, including yourself as an attorney, uh, you know, there's a lot of AI and machine learning that could maybe do parts of what you do to free you up to do more of the interesting part of your job, right? Which is figuring out, you know, interesting strategies. Well, what about, you know, the, you know, look at the humanity part of things. Yeah. You're like, so what do I see for the future? We are like, so technology and uh, robotics and, and everything else that comes with it is going to accelerate, right? If anybody who's ever read Ray Kurzweil and, and has studied his, um, you know, sort of, um, I would say success in being able to define and, and sort of predict what's happening, we know that the technology acceleration curve is going to continue, right? And it's going to get faster and faster. And we will have to figure out for ourselves, what is the important part of what we do? And, and what can we leave to um, AI teammates and AI assistance and, you know, digital entities that can maybe take some of the, you know, the, the uh, manual parts of what we do and automate them. It's already happening. For example, as a designer, if I go into the Adobe Creative Suite, in the past, I would have to do some operations that would take me, you know, in some cases, hours. Like they were like painstaking. It took, and now I, I click on one tool, I click on the screen, it's done immediately. Wow. It's actually quite a good result. So, you know, are machines and technology uh, taking my job away? No, but they're redefining my role and they're redefining, you know, the role of technology as a helper and assistant. Can it go horribly wrong? Of course. Like we've all seen the movies, you know, we know that this doesn't end well. <laughs> but in the meantime, in the meantime, I, I am super optimistic that we are coming into an amazingly um, exciting and energizing part of, of humanity where we actually do figure out that we can be so much better than we have been in the past. Yeah. No, it's a, it's a fantastic um, note to end on. So Mike Pell, you are many things. You're an visioneer, you're director of Microsoft Garage, you're a prolific author, you're an artist, but I think probably it, it comes out, you're just a great human being. I think, you know, you've got a sense of humanity and what it means to be human. Uh, and it's just lovely to see, you know, someone like you with, with such an important role who is thinking about, you know, what is the role of the human uh, as augmented, I guess, by the amazing technologies that are coming. So thank you once again for joining us and people well, should uh, look out for Mike's yeah. book, Visualising Business. Thanks very much, Mike. It's so, it's so great to talk to you, Nick. Really appreciate it. And I'll see you soon. Look forward to it. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Web3 from Mystery to Mainstream. Nothing in this podcast is legal or financial advice. 
Have a great day. And remember, every organisation needs a Web3 strategy.